Yeah, that was where I'm like, uh oh. All right. All right, this is it. This is the substantial part three of trying to do this. Anyway, I've got Tom Flight on. He wrote a book about a real fun time with Middlesbrough. And one of kind of describe how did you get what made you think about writing this about the book? And can you like go into what how did you come up with the name of the book and that type of stuff? Yeah, uh, so I'm uh, I grew up. Um, just outside Middlesbrough, in a village just outside uh, Middlesbrough. So I grew up uh, a Borough fan. Um, and I was nine years old when the 96, 97 season, and it, the book is basically uh, a kind of retelling of that season. Uh, so I suppose that was just the first time where I came kind of aware of football and how I, you know, I think most soccer fans have that season where they just, you know, become obsessed and they just start just absorbing everything about the game. And uh, it just happened to, uh, coincide with this um, amazing season. Uh, Middlesbrough had always, for 120 years of their existence, they had been a team that had not had much success. Uh, they, you know, kind of they were known for being unlucky. Uh, they'd never won a trophy. Uh, they kind of yo-yoed between the top two divisions and never, never really looked like winning anything. And then in this season, in 1996, they suddenly got a load of money and did a big splurge on some international stars and. It looked like we'd arrived at this great time uh, to, to be a fan. Um, and it didn't quite work out like that. Um, uh, we, we got relegated, and we, uh, but we did go to two cup finals. Uh, the first time we'd ever played in a major cup final, we got to two in one season. And it was just a, it was just a wild season. And being a young fan, it's, it's always kind of stuck with me. Um, and me and my dad had a season tickets. So we went to a lot of the games and we went to a few of the way, to a few away games and to the, all the cup finals. And uh, yeah, so I just, um, it's just, it's, it's, just, it's just one of the most memorable seasons in the fans history. And I thought it needed, a, needed a book written about it. And I decided to do that. Uh, with the title, um, you're joking, aren't you? Uh, that's kind of a phrase that's known in, in Middlesbrough. It kind of became uh, symbolic with that season because one of the players called Phil Stamp. It kind of became his catchphrase. He used to say, "You're joking, aren't you?" And uh, it just kind of—it's just a—it's like it's a local phrase, and it just kind of sums up that season. Like so many incredible things happened, but your kind of re response would just be, "You're joking, aren't you?" Like it, it, it's unbelievable. Yeah, I mean, if you th if you think if you go back to that time in England with the sport, you've got you're just at getting out of. Liverpool's completely fallen apart. Kenny's gone and then went to Blackburn and left. Mm -hmm. Kind of a middling time in England with the and you've got Liver, you've got Man United going. Um, as you mentioned in your as you mentioned in the part I just got through, the entertainers at Newcastle have just done their they've they fell apart the year before. Yep. And you get um you get I was going to say Bobby Robson. Oh, you get Brian Robson in there just out. I mean, you get a former great player at Man United to come in, and he had to register himself during one of the matches during that season. Yeah. Yeah, we had um, – so he, he, he joined the club in 94. He, he retired from uh, playing for Manchester United, and he, he'd been such a legend as a player. Um, he, you know, he, people thought he was going to be a great manager, so he was. It was pretty, 
um, coveted by a lot of teams. And Middlesbrough managed to get him as their manager. Um, and he, he was the man who managed to attract all these stars because everyone had heard of Brian Robson. So people like Fabrizio Ravanelli, Janino, Emerson, they all came basically because of Robson. Like he was the one who uh, they all looked up to. Um, but yeah, he was still he was still registered as a player because um, we had such bad injuries during that season. Uh, I think he was 10 days away from his 40th birthday on New Year's Day and he had to field himself against away at Arsenal. Um, and in, in his autobiography, he said he didn't walk for two weeks after the game because he was just uh, Dennis Bergkamp and Ian Wright just running ragged. And uh, yeah, that was the last time he ever played. And I, I mean, I can imagine you're, play, you're coming up against that Arsenal side right there that's really starting to catch steam mm-hmm. at that point. And Dennis Bergkamp, I mean, anything you you see it at any time was was amazing. And to have him come in and you guys get the get to play against him had to be fun. Yeah. Uh, so Bob said years before probably would have that would have been fun for him to play. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think the night the night six, night seven, that was uh Arsene Wenger's he arrived um a few months into that season. Uh I think it was no October he he became Arsenal's manager. So that was the start of that great uh, era of Arsene Wenger and Arsenal, and he and he he completely transformed uh, English football. I mean, he he basically did what Middlesbrough were trying to do successfully. Middlesbrough signed all these foreign players, uh, but they weren't able to kind of integrate them into the English way of playing. Whereas Arsene Wenger just kind of rewritten the rulebook, and uh, and he managed to integrate this great English Arsenal team with these foreign superstars and. Yeah, Dennis Bergkamp was just, uh, I mean, he's one of my favorite players I've ever seen. I mean, he, he was just, uh, everything he did with the ball was beautiful. Like, you know, I, I could just, I could, I could have watched him all day. And you, you, guys, you guys had, he became a legend, of course, because he kept coming back, but you had Juninho mm-hmm. come in from, now, did he come in from Brazil or was he over in Europe when he, when um, Robson went and got him? Yeah, so he came from Brazil. So he was playing for Sao Paulo. Uh, and he was named uh, Brazilian Player of the Year in '94. And after Brazil won the World Cup, uh, he was part of a kind of new generation of, uh, of players. So people like Ronaldo and Roberto Carlos were coming through, and Janinho was definitely part of that team. And they came to England in, ni- in the summer of '95. That Brazil team came, and they played at Wembley. And uh, Brian Robson was the assistant manager for England uh, under Terry Venables. And uh, Brazil played England at Wembley and it went 3-1 and Janinho just absolutely tore England apart. And that was the first time where anyone in England had really heard of him. Um, but that, mm-hmm. that, that, kind of been, that kind of made him uh, like, a, like someone to think about in, uh, in, the, in Europe. Um, and I know that Arsenal were really keen to sign him. Inter Milan apparently were really close. Um, but M- Middlesbrough... They just uh, they wouldn't they wouldn't take no for an answer. But apparently, uh, Brian Robson and Keith Lamb, who's the chief executive, they flew over to Sao Paulo. They didn't even have a meeting. They just went to the stadium, knocked on the door, and said, "Hey, we want to sign this player." And uh, they just wouldn't take no for an answer. And I think Janino was just so um, he was just so kind of like kind of touched by the effort and uh, the team was putting in that he just he, he signed for Middlesbrough and he you know he could he could have signed for any team in Europe really, but uh, he, he chose Middlesbrough. And I think. That, that was the start of uh, that real special relationship. I think the fact that Janino chose Middlesbrough over all, all the other giants of uh, Europe has uh, just meant so much from the start. And, you know, it's basically been a love affair with the club for the rest of his career. And to this day, I mean, he's, he's still worshipped in, uh, in Middlesbrough. Yeah, and he still comes back every now and then. Because I've seen that, 
I've seen that in the um, notes and and reading about Middlesbrough is that he he still comes back even what almost 20, 25 years later. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he'll come and he'll you know he'll turn up at the stadium and wave, and everyone will go nuts. And I mean, I, in the book, I kind of I liken it to to Maradona at Napoli and the way that that town just kind of mm-hmm. just uh, worshipped him. And and that was a similar deal. You know, Napoli were kind of a, a derided. Type, uh, side in Italy, you know, all the northern teams would kind of look down on them. And Middlesbrough kind of have that kind of reputation in, in England as well. You know, they're not really seen as a big club and people just kind of dismiss them. So I think it's that similar thing that this great player chose them to make it their home, but that's that's what makes it so special. Uh, yeah, and Janino came back. Uh, he came back alone two years later. Um, and then he came back in 2002 after he won the World Cup with Brazil and, and had another two good years. So, yeah, he, he, he couldn't stay away. I mean, he never found anywhere else in the world where he received the same uh, like adoration as he did in Middlesbrough. Well, I mean, that, that makes sense. Once you, once you come to a club that's trying to go on the way up, it, it's different from going somewhere for like Athletical mm-hmm. Madrid or something like that, is that they're, they're already established. If you can get your name like what he did yeah. there, you can make it. And he wasn't the only Brazilian you guys had there. I, you had Emerson, and you had something in the book that Roberto Carlos also was looked at. So, yeah, so so when when uh, Robson went to Brazil to sign Janinho, uh, he, he spoke to Roberto Carlos's agent, and apparently he had just signed for Inter Milan. And uh, Robson said if he'd been a couple of days earlier, he, he would have been able to sell, sign him for four million, which just seems that just seems absolutely crazy. But um, um, apparently we were linked with Roberto Carlos later on in the season. Uh, before he signed signed for Madrid, but because we got relegated, it it, it kind of fell through. Um, but yeah, we had Emerson. I mean, he was he was incredible, and we had Branco, who won the World Cup uh, with Brazil in 1994. He didn't he didn't really work out too well. He was kind of up towards the end of his career, and he um, he was pulling he was pulling in a big wage, and uh, I think fans never really felt like he was pulling his weight. But uh, Emerson was a he was a whole other story. He was he was an incredible player. Um, he was just. Um, yeah, I, I just there was something he didn't, he didn't. He never really settled in Middlesbrough, and uh, he had a, he had a he had a more difficult time than Janino did. Yeah, and this what you said. This what you put into that because I I just got through that part. Is that he went mm-hmm. missing? He went missing, and that's a, it's a little bit different then than it is now. You can't hide nowadays. Yeah. He can get on a plane and go. And you can't get a hold of anybody. Yeah, it's true. I mean, he just, yeah, he, they just, they, did, they didn't know where he went. It, he just, he, him and his wife just, after one day, just flew back to Brazil, and then they didn't tell anyone, and then the club didn't know where they were, and eventually they tracked him down. But yeah, I mean, he, his, uh, apparently his wife was homesick, um, and um, and then it was also rumors that because because Emerson was signed from Porto. Uh, he, he played. He played for two years at Porto, mm-hmm. and Bobby Robson was the manager. And Bobby Robson absolutely loved him. Um, but then, in in May of 1996, uh, there were problems with Porto getting paid, and Emerson wanted to get out. And Middlesbrough came in with a big, big deal, big offer, and they uh, they signed him in May. But then Bobby Robson actually ended up taking the, the Barcelona man, Barcelona job later that summer, and he was trying to sign Emerson towards the end of the year. Um, it just shows. I mean, if Emerson had not been so hasty if he had waited you know explored his options if he had waited and until Bob Robson got a Barcelona manager I'm, po- I'm positive that Emerson would have gone to Barcelona and then he would have been playing in that in that side with Ronaldo and Pep Guardiola and 
Jose Mourinho was Bobby Robson's assistant. I think he he would have had a completely different career. I think being around that sort of group and his career would have been a complete different tra- trajectory. Instead, he came to Middlesbrough where he never never yeah. really settled. He showed flashes of brilliance. Like he was an incredible player. Like his passing range and his the way he kind of bossed the midfield. He'd never really been seen in England before. But mentally, he never really settled and he and he never really fulfilled his potential. I think. I think. It's kind of a sliding doors moment. If he if he had gone to Barcelona, I think he would have been one of the best players in the world. And that that had to be the real strange thing for these players to come in and you're coming from exact places and you get dropped in the middle of Middlesbrough. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, not to not <laughs> Middlesbrough, but it's not like that's one of the places in England you're striving to. No, go not in. really. No. Um... Yeah, and I think I guess that's kind of something that I've kind of now looking back, I've, I kind of appreciate more because, like, when you look at someone like Ravanelli, he he was playing for Juventus, they were the best team in Europe. He just scored in the Champions League final, and but you know the culture of soccer in in Italy is is so different to England back then. It was just, it was much more professional, very tactical. The training and the diet diet and everything was uh, was really strict. And he came, and he was playing with people like Del Piero and Viali and Antonio Conti, Deschamps, like really, like real, like superstars, but you know, real great characters in the dressing room. He came to Middlesbrough, and it was, you know, it was, it was, it was basically a old old school English setup. You know, the training was just done at the prison, local prison. Um, but the kind of the drinking culture of English football was still there. And I think I think Rabinelli and Emerson were just, you know. They, they couldn't believe that this was actually how a professional club ran things. Uh, and looking back, I can, I can kind of understand that. And, you know, we, we with, the, with the way results kind of went in the league, it must have been pretty agonising for Ravinelli. He'd just come from being top scorer at Juventus, winning the Champions League, and now he's in a relegation battle. It must have been pretty, uh pretty awful situation to be in. So looking back, I, looking back now, I can kind of appreciate what a culture shock it must have been for them. Yeah, but that that had to be that that was a fun time in the up in the in the in the Premier League. There was a lot of great players there. I mean that that's uh that's Alan Shearer up there. You've got I mean, as we said Burkamp there. So you're getting to see the change of pulling it out of the doldrums of the '80s, and you're getting people you're able to see yeah, some exactly, of these yeah. players that you would very rarely. Down here now, still, I mean, Ronaldo, real Ronaldo, was still you was still unique to people. But getting these players in and see them uh, traveling the side, I mean, Ravinelli, I mean, as you said, was there. It had to be fun. It had to be fun for the fans and for people of your generation, and even your dad, to see this guy come off of Juventus and go. And being able to yeah. score for you, I mean, it was crazy. Yeah, and it it was like you say the way the way that like the way you describe it of coming out of the doldrums of the eighties. It was it was real. It was almost like the wild west. You know, it was like how, what, these days, you know, there's no such thing as like the English football style. You know, is everything's a, is a blend of all the different culture and all the different styles of football. But back then, there was an English way of playing the game and an English way of doing things, and these these foreigners were just kind of thrown into it. And it just produced these kind of really unique and crazy teams, and it was just yeah, like I said, it was a really it was a really fun time, and uh, and the characters were just were just great. I mean, people like you know Cantona and uh, and Zola. I mean, it was it was just a 
it was yeah, it was just a really fun. It was a really fun time. Yeah, John Lethal, yeah, Fiali, and I think um, Ruth Bullet was there mm-hmm. at that time. Was I had or had just come over? Now, what was it? What was it like going back with your eyes and looking at those two Cup Finals for a club that doesn't yeah. go? I mean, yeah, obviously in the in the in the, in the next je- in the next iteration of this, you guys do go to um, you, you go to Europe mm-hmm. years later. But I mean, going to two Cup Finals in a year—that's something that re- even at the big clubs, that rarely yeah. happens. Uh, I, th- I think that's why the the season is kind of so special in the in the kind of minds of Borough fans because it felt like it just felt like we'd have been waiting our entire lives. Like I mean, I was only nine years old, obviously, but I I, I was aware of the history. But yeah. Borough fans, it just felt like they'd just been waiting for this moment. And at the beginning of that season, when all these great players are signed, you just kind of felt like some like we were going to achieve something. And, it, and I was looking through, the, I've got all the programs from uh, those games. And in the first game, of the se- in the first game of the season, Brian Robson's notes, you know, he's talking about going to Wembley and how he wants to win a trophy. And there was just a feeling that we were, we were going to do well in the cups. And then, and then in the cup, you know, each round, it, it, we just kind of built momentum. And we just, and it, when we actually went to Wembley, it was just such a incredible feeling. I, mean, I went to the first game, again, uh, the Coca-Cola Cup final against Leicester. It was just a. It was such a great day out. Um, it was a heartbreaking day in the end because we uh, we didn't we didn't get the win, but we we uh, we took the lead. Rabinelli scored a goal in extra time, and the noise when he when he uh, when the ball hit the net, it was, it was I've never ever experienced a noise like it. And for, for the next twenty minutes, the kind of red half of the stadium was just was just bouncing. It, I'll, I'll never forget that atmosphere, and it was it just felt like we just arrived at this significant time in in the history of the club and then we went and conceded a goal in the last minute to kind of ruin it and then we lost the replay so it was heartbreaking in the end but i'll never i'll never forget that moment when it felt like it was happening um it was now that's the that's the lester side with that's the lester one with um martin o'neill and is lineker still yeah he's gone by then yeah yeah i think he That's, that's yeah. even more impressive. <laughs> what Martin O'Neill yeah, did there. So he, he, I think Leicester had just got promoted that year, and um, they had a young Emil Heskey. Heskey was like a nineteen-year-old, I think. Um, yeah, they, yeah they, they didn't have a great team, but they they, they were really well organised. Um, and Middlesbrough played Leicester away two weeks before the final, um, and Janino absolutely tore them apart. Uh, we won three-one. He scored one. He set up one, and he could have he could have scored three or four. Like he had one of his best games ever for Middlesbrough. Um, and the irony is, if we hadn't played that game, we probably would have won the the final because Martin O'Neill realized that day that he needed to do something to stop Juninho. So uh, he got Pontus Karmark, his Swedish defender, to man mark Juninho. Uh, he was a quick international defender, and he basically just shadowed Juninho in the entire game. And Juninho didn't have a didn't have a sniff the entire game. So. If we if we hadn't played Leicester two weeks earlier, then we probably would have won the final because he, he he wouldn't have had the uh, the mindset to man march in the entire game. And so the the other final obviously is the FA Cup final for you guys. So what was what was that? Well, that was a different. Like? Uh, that was a real different kind of vibe to the day because we'd been relegated the the week earlier. So the the season had kind of fallen apart with injury with injuries that uh, kind of rubbish for the club, 
Um, so I, I can remember going to this outside the stadium. It was just a, it was just a really surreal kind of day. Like I, I guess no one really knew how to feel about the team uh, and the players as well. You could tell that they just weren't as up for it. I think they just wanted the season to end. And you know the, the fans, you know, we couldn't, we, we couldn't work out if they loved all over the team. You know, it, it was still too raw. The kind of uh, the uh, devastation of being relegated. Um, and I think you could just you, you could sense that going through the team. And then we, we, we ended up conceding in the first minute. Where Roberto Di Matteo scored uh, after 43 seconds. And I can remember when the ball went, went in the net, I can remember thinking, well, that's it. You know, it, it just felt like it was over, you know, pretty much as it started. So it, it was, I mean, it was cool because it was an FA Cup final. You know, it's something that I'll always be able to say. I went to an FA Cup final at Wembley. But it was a, it was a different vibe. It was, it was a really, uh, it was a really surreal day. Di Matteo is one of those ones that we forget about. That, that he was actually mm-hmm. really good too. There's 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 that generation on the, the end of the '90s that we forget. I, I get a point. I get to a point outside of this book. Juninho's kind of forgotten about in the great greater scheme of who who's played in England since the EPL came in. Because there's a lot of great players yeah. that have come through. I mean, for a certain period of time. You could argue he's probably one of the most important players for a club. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, but there so, was. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think people who saw him play will uh, will will always kind of remember what it was like. But yeah, he doesn't he doesn't seem to be remembered. You know, new you know new fans who look at the players of, of the past. I'm, I'm not sure Juninho is one that they're very aware of. Um, in the same way that they are with like Bergkamp and Cantona and uh, Henri and whatever but yeah i mean he he was uh he he was such a unique player and he, he was that 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 Middlesbrough team he was just able to do what he wanted like he could just he was given a free license to roam all over the pitch and i think uh, it's just so rare to see a player like that these days these days everything's so tactically driven and you know it, he 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 would pick the ball up on his own 18 yard box and when 10 seconds later there'd be a goal like he could he would Robson just let him do whatever he did and it was it was so thrilling to watch um, you know, probably we over relied on him. You know, once we once teams found a way to stop him, like Leicester did in the final, uh, it kind of stopped the team. But when he was able to get going, it was uh, it was unlike anything I've ever seen. Now, obviously, the team came back up after that, but kind of, I mean, that that should that that side should have become better. Was it was the falling down of that one when? Um, Robson went off to take uh, So he was um, he was assistant manager of uh, before he became Middlesbrough manager. Well, as, as he was Middlesbrough manager, um, it, was, it was Steve McLaren who went. He went on to be England manager after Middlesbrough. Um, Robson kind of after he left Middlesbrough in two thousand one. He kind of um, his, his his managerial career kind of went down a bit. He never really got going after that. He even had a couple spells at West Brom. Um, yeah, but we, we came back. We came back up the next year. We bounced straight back up. Um, but I don't know. Kind of a magic had been had gone a little bit. Um, we uh, when we came back up in ninety eight, ninety nine, we actually finished ninth. We had a really good season, but it was a much more. It was just a different team, and I, I something something about the uh, the uh, I don't know. It's almost like we 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 dare not dream again, sort of thing. So much hope and dreams have been invested in this season that. We, it almost felt like we didn't want to be let down again. So I, 
even when we came even when we got to the European final and we won the cup later in some ways I think Borough fans were hesitant to really embrace it because they were just they were worried that they're going to have their house broken again like they did in uh, this season if that makes sense oh yeah that's right Brian doesn't yeah Brian doesn't go to England I, Brian doesn't go to coaching England he fizz, I keep forgetting yeah. he fizzles out completely now yeah that was the weird one of those. I mean, because obviously Juninho went went to the continent and played. Now Ravinelli was at the end of his career, right? So he kind of fizzled um, out from there, so right? He, he should have had a couple more years to go. Um, like, uh, but he, yeah, he, he definitely never got back to the way he was. He he uh, he stuck around that summer. He said he was staying, and then two games into the new season, he said he wanted to leave anyway. So he signed for Marseille. Uh, he, he kind of didn't really do well there, but he, he went to Lazio and he was part of the squad that won the Stagetto in uh, 2000. Uh, he wasn't he wasn't a starting striker. Um, and then he actually went and played for Derby County for like, he, he played he played more games for Derby than he did for Middlesbrough. Yeah. Everyone forgets that he played for Derby. Um, and then, he, yeah, then he, then he kind of, um, yeah. he, had, he had a really bizarre spell at Dundee. He, he played like five matches for Dundee in Scotland. Which was which was a bizarre story in itself. Uh, yeah, he kind of fizzled out. Uh, Janinho went to so the, the Brazil managers basically said, if you want to play for Brazil, you have to play in a top division. So when Middlesbrough got relegated, he said he had to leave. So he signed for Atletico Madrid, and he was brilliant for six months. Him and Christian Vieri had a great partnership, and he was looking like he was going to become a main player in the Brazil squad of the '98 World Cup. But then he had a hor- he had a horrific injury in February, and uh, he, he was never the same player again after that. Yeah, because he came, he came back on loan. Then didn't he at the end of his career go back to Brazil and just kind of finish playing? Because he's an owner yeah, I of think the team he is. now, right? He definitely. Uh, I think it's his local team, Ituano. He's an owner. Uh, he's also he's really high up in the Brazilian FA. Uh, this uh, CFB, I guess it is. I'm not, I'm not sure what his role is, but he's 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 got a really high position in the. I'm not sure if he's like head of development or something like that, but he's got a pretty pretty good job for the Brazilian Football Association these days. Yeah, and obviously he comes back. So now you you did this through p- pitch pu- um publishing, which as you know, I sent you my I sent you my book, so we're both authors here. I'm kind of interesting. Every time I talk to pitch, they're just yeah. wonderful on the customer service side. They're just easy to deal with. I would assume with how how you talk about them online that they're they are just as good as you, yeah. I mean, as I, this is the first book I've written, so I've never really uh, I you know I've I've no experience of publishing or you know writing. Um, so I was kind of you know I, I sent uh, the way this book came about is uh, I was doing a bit of freelance writing for some magazines and uh, some websites. Uh, not not really about football, but I was, soccer. I was trying to try against soccer, so I pitched uh, an article to a magazine, and it ended up getting rejected. But my wife read it, and she said, "Oh, this is good. You should you, you should rewrite a book about this." So I, I was like, "Okay." So I pitched, sent a pitch through to Pitch Publishing, and they, I didn't think anything would happen about it, and they emailed me back a few days later and said, "Yeah, let's do it." Um, and I, I um, yeah, I, I like I say, I've got no, I had no experience of uh, publishing, and so I didn't really know what, what I was doing. So. I just, I just ask questions, and they they always really quick to let me know, and they just, they just kind of guided me through it. Um, but yeah, I, I I don't have 
enough good things to say about them. They, they, they've been uh, brilliant for me. When you actually finally got the final go-ahead and it was going to the printer, how how relaxing of a feeling was that for you? That okay, this is done. <laughs> um, I've actually it was done kind this. of a it was kind of a I don't know it was it was it was a surreal feeling. Um, it was I I I've got like I, obviously I, I work full time and I've got a one year old and a three year old. So finding time to write the book was always kind of a struggle. Like a lot of this book, a lot of this book was written, uh, you know, between the hours of 10 and midnight, you know, after the kids had gone to bed and I was able to grab a couple hours to write. So uh, I, I always felt like I was up against it to meet the deadline. So part of me was kind of panicking that I'd never really been able to put the time that I wanted into it. Uh, but once I, yeah, once I sent it off, it was, it was relief, but I was also a little bit anxious because I was, you know, it was my first book. I didn't know if it was going to be, uh, if it was going to be, you know, terrible or not. Uh, I mean, I've been grateful so far. People who have sent me some feedback has been uh, pretty positive. So, it's, I feel great now. But it was, it was, uh, it was, it was, a, it was a weird feeling. Um, and didn't you already sell it out at? Didn't you already sell it out at like Amazon or something? Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, that's what it says at the moment. I mean, I, I know that the the COVID thing is uh, has affected distribution of the book. Um, so I mean, it sounds great, but the book sold out. I mean, I don't, I don't, I don't know what the sales are. I've no, I don't have a clue. But, I mean, but I mean, I've been pretty overwhelmed at the uh, response from from Borough fans. I mean, they they definitely. Uh, I've been I've been showing a lot of interest online, so it's been it's been great. Um, so it's it's been a, it came out on Monday, and it's been a good week. So apparently, um, Amazon have put in another order for it. Um, it's just getting the books to them, and so hopefully, it'll be uh, available soon. Now, obviously, now you're over here in the states. How is it? Is it a challenge for you to follow Burrow here? Or is it easier that is it easier than people would think following a kind of a middle uh, in some ways easier side? than it is in England to be honest because uh, the rights to the TV uh, you can you I, I've got access to all the games here in England the, the games that are at, that kick off at three o'clock you can't you can't watch them basically uh, if you're overseas you can watch them so I, I've I've got the ability to watch every single game of the season um, in America. Whereas my friends back home, they can go to the games, but they can't watch all the games. So, um, so yeah, so I, I, I have no problem getting access to watching the games. Uh, the championship, they have that I follow um, system. So, um, yeah, so, yeah, it's, it's great for me. Yeah, I can wake up at nine o'clock in the morning, watch watch Middlesbrough. My wife's happy because, you know, all the, all the slack is over by noon, pretty much. So it's not taking up all her day. So, uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that's what people don't realize about watching. They're like, "Oh, you're watching yeah. this over here." Yeah, we're done by nine. Yeah. We're done by nine, ten o'clock. Yeah, in the morning. That's why my, my wife always says, you know, "When we when we used to live back in England, you know, it would take up your entire Saturday. You know, you 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 go to the pub or you go to the game, and it would kick off at three o'clock. You wouldn't get home till seven, or you'd stay out for a bit. But here, it's yeah, it's all done by lunchtime, and it's you got you got the rest of the weekend. So I I, I actually quite like it." <laughs> Now, have I heard? I've heard this. I haven't heard the complete on this. Haven't they, because of COVID, lifted the restrictions on the three o'clock games for the at least till the end of the year? Or what's that? Um, so what, what, what's that? Sorry, 
that they've that they've if the well they'll all come back all, all the way down to I think um league two I think are all coming back yeah. regardless sometime this summer. But I thought I had heard somewhere and you might be more in tune to this is that once it comes back that three o'clock man where you guys can't watch or everything has to be off at three is going to be oh, lifted right. where they're going to let I think, everybody I think, play. I, I'm not sure like if it's like, yeah, but I think that's the plan. And I think um, I think because the games are going to be played behind closed doors, I think that's why they're doing it. So they're going to make it all the games um, uh, you, you can watch them on TV. I think I think that's the plan. That, that they're still going to play the games without a crowd. I think I think yeah. I'm I'm, I'm not 100 percent sure, but I think that's the plan. Now, if they open up that field game, they they can't close that once they get that. Once yeah. they give you guys the abilities, what we have here. No, you're probably right. That yeah, can't no, be I mean, closed I've back up. I mean, do, do as, as as an American, do you kind of think it's crazy that most of the soccer is not available to watch in the UK? Yeah, that that stuns me because my um, I if everything goes right this year, oh, cool. I'm going over to Dublin and London. This year, awesome. it's been a long time goal for my dad and I. And he was like, he was like, "Oh, you can go and watch a game yeah. over there." I'm like, "No, you can't, Dad. No, you can't, because we're going to we're going to um, the Imperial War Museum in Bletchley Park because I have one of my degrees is in um, military history, so we're going to go over." He's like, "Oh, you can go to this." I'm like, "Dad, read yeah. first. It's a little different." So he went back and read it. He goes. Oh, those are, the, the English have it hard. I yeah. understand why those games are full every weekend. I understand. He's like, I understand it completely. Now. Yeah. Yeah, because it baffles me here is that I can yeah. sit here and watch every division in England, pretty much every, because I think I've gone mm-hmm. all the way down to the conference here. Every cu- country in Europe, and you have to just what is it you basically didn't just listen to the game or like is it still yeah just the you can listen to the games but um yeah the, they televise the early kickoff uh i like the late kickoff but most of the games are three o'clock yeah it, it does seem really archaic and it's just it, i find it crazy because all the money is in tv you know that's where all these clubs are making money so i just find it wild that they're not yes. um you know taking advantage of that uh yeah, because we get all of, like, I mm-hmm. had LFC TV on and off for years. Oh, really? For some reason, they don't accept the credit card, whatever. But, I mean, you guys, yeah, right. you could get, um, here in um, Buffalo, our Time Warner channel, when it would go off at 8 o'clock, would switch to whichever, um, Engl- whichever EPL mm-hmm. team TV it could get. Like one fr- like Fridays it was Bolton TV, one one month one day it was um, Newcastle TV. So I mean you get to yeah it's, it, it's in Buffalo, New York of all things, which is weird. It was really weird with that. Well, Tom, this was fun. I hopefully we can get this back when you do your next yeah. book about the about the European Cup one. When, Definitely, yeah. Once you get this go, yeah, once you get that yeah, one going, like the end of the book, yeah, just have to see how it goes. Yeah, yeah exactly. Awesome. And I, I'm kicking my tires on another two anyway. Well, 
Guys, this has been this has been fun, Tom. I will get this out for you guys. Great. Thanks, Ian. I... Within soon. I appreciate it. That was a lot of fun.